Lord God, thank you so much for this morning, for bringing us here. Thank you that we had our time to just sit before your feet and worship you. And now, God, that you've opened up our hearts to you, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. God, that through your word we would hear your voice, and through your word that we would not only learn, not only would we grow, Lord, but may the truth truly set us free. So I ask for your Holy Spirit to anoint this time, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I read about this minister who came to visit a dying woman in the last stages of lung cancer. She grasped for breath daily and struggled in great pain, but every day she clutched a crucifix that her grandmother had given her when she was a little girl, and it was a symbol of her faith. The minister entered the room and could see she was near the end. He went up to her and asked her, Would you like me to pray for you? But in seeing the crucifix in her hands, he then asked, Or perhaps you'd like me to summon a priest. Well, with her last ounce of energy, she held out the crucifix toward him that depicted Christ on the cross. And he told him, Thank you, but I have a priest. I like that. That's Jesus. Well, that's exactly what we find today in our study through the book of Hebrews. The writer shows more proof that believers have their own priest, Jesus Christ. And so the title of our message this morning is this. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our high priest. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 1 through 10 this morning. 1 through 10. And I've broken up our passage into three parts, and this is our outline. Number one, the description of the priest. Number two, the difference in Christ. And number three, the dedication of Jesus. So here today, Jesus is our high priest. Let's begin with number one in our outline, the description of the priest. Beginning here, Hebrews chapter 5, take a look with me here now, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. We'll stop right there. Now we begin with these words right at the beginning of verse 1. It says, for every high priest. Now the writer continues on here from chapter 4 describing the qualifications of the high priest, or we should really say the earthly high priest, which is all now to help the reader better understand why Jesus is our high priest. That's our title. Now remember we ended last time on how believers can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help from Jesus, our great high priest. And so here in this first part of chapter 5, the writer shows that Jesus has fulfilled actually the qualifications of the high priest and even greatly exceeded those qualifications, which we'll see in our next section. So what are the qualifications of a high priest? What are they? Well, we find six things, and thus our heading here, in the description of the priest, the description of the priest. And we're going to see six things here, and I think they will put them on the screen as we go. But number one, the first thing we see is the high priest is a man. Number one, the high priest is a man. Verse one, it says, for every high priest taken from among men. In other words, the high priest has to be a man 
not an angel, not sort of not some animal character or anything, but a human being. And why is that? Well, it brings us to number two. The high priest represents the people. So the high priest is a man appointed for men, as we see in verse 1. That means the high priest is a man chosen to represent the people before God. You see, only a man can properly represent and approach God on behalf of all human beings. He has to be a man, right? So he goes in there as a man to meet with God, to mediate, to be there, approach God, and represent man as a man. So you see here why one of the reasons Jesus became a man was to fulfill this criteria. To be our high priest, a man that represents the people before God, and that's Jesus. And we've touched on that before, but now the writer gets more into this detail. John Calvin once wrote, It was necessary for Christ to become a real man, for as we are very far from God, we stand in a manner before him in the person of our priest, which could not be were he not one of us. Right? So Jesus became one of us to represent us, men or human beings, before the Lord. So, number one, the high priest is a man, we see in verse 1. Number two, we see in verse 1, the high priest represents the people. But number three now in this description of the priest, the high priest represents the Lord. The high priest represents the Lord. Here in verse 1 again, it says the high priest. It also deals with the things pertaining to God. That means the high priest not only represents the people, but he also represents the Lord to the people. How? By teaching the word of God. By teaching the truths and principles of the Lord. So the high priest represents the Lord now to the people. So so it goes both ways. And number four we see in this verse, the high priest gives the offerings to God. And most of the time, that's what we think about it as a priest, right? Giving uh, the Jewish priests would minister or administer the offerings to the Lord. So in verse 1 at the end, it says that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. The gifts are like the meal offerings that the Jews gave in the Old Testament or the grain offerings, which were gifts. They were presents to the Lord. And then sacrifices for sin speaks of the blood sacrifices given as atonement for the sins of the people. So you can see with this, you see how Jesus had fulfilled these qualifications. I mean, he taught the word. He is the word. He brought the truth of God. And in our Bibles, we have those very words in our hands. And his gift and sacrifice was really when he offered himself to die for our sins. So we see just in these first four things, that is how Jesus is our high priest. Ephesians 5, 2, the last part of the verse says, As Christ also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Okay, so the description of the priest we find in verse 1. Number 1, the high priest is a man. The high priest represents the people, but he also represents the Lord. And the high priest gives the offerings to God. So here's, here's the writer laying all this out for the readers. Next, now, the writer gives us a qualification of the heart. Of the heart of the priest. Look at verse 2. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to 
weakness. So the high priest is a man. Why? So he should have compassion. Why? Because he is a human being like people he represents. He knows how easily it is to wander off the path toward God. He knows how easy it is to be tempted or to fall into sin. He's a human being himself. So he can sympathize with those who are ignorant. Here it says in verse 2, those who don't understand the ways of God and those who are going astray, going wayward, since he himself is prone to the same weaknesses. So that's a, a high priest. That's, that's some of the qualifications. That's a description that this high priest is a human being. So he can have compassion on all peoples because he's like them himself. And that's why in verse 3, because of this, because he struggles in the same weaknesses, he is required, verse 3, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sin. So the earthly Jewish high priest must also offer up a sacrifice to atone for his own sins. And I mentioned that last time, right? Before he entered the holiest of holies and brought the atonement yeah, into the inner sanctum of the temple, into that holiest holies where the ark was to bring atonement for all the people, what we find in the Old Testament. Before he even did that, he had to give a sacrifice to atone for his own sins. It's because this high priest, he can, is a sinner himself. So, because he's like this, he's a human being, this priest has understanding, compassion for the people. In other words, he can relate to the people. Now, here's where it's not the same with Jesus, right? Jesus was without sin. We saw that in Hebrews 4.15. Jesus was not full of weaknesses like we're reading here as the earlier human high priest there is. Uh, he wasn't full of weaknesses either. But being a human, though, Jesus, being himself a human, he does understand. Remember, he is both God and man. So as we get into this verse, the focus really is on how the high priest can relate to the people he ministers to. That's really the idea, which leads us actually to number five in the description of priests. The high priest is to be full of compassion the high priest is to be full of compassion he's understanding he's like them and that's what we see with jesus but the earthly priests actually these jewish priests right later on they got real political later on they got into power and above the people but actually originally when god set forth these high priests they were supposed to be full of compassion because they're human just like the people they're going before the lord in the book of Exodus 28, we find that God really set that in, in action in this way. We find the high priest wore this vest. You remember that? This breastplate. And it had 12 different stones on it set inside this vest. On each stone was engraved the names of the tribes. So there's 12 stones, 12 tribes, and they were engraved each on, on each of the name of the tribes on the stones. And even on the shoulder straps that held this vest, there, there was the names of the tribes of Israel on there. Now that was intentional. God gave that because the people of Israel were always to be on the heart and shoulders of the high priest. This was to stir the heart of the high priest for compassion to the people to remind them what they were doing and, and, and how they represented the people and how they were supposed to be full of compassion because 
He's just like the people. Well, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. His compassion for you is because, you know what, you're always close to his heart. This is Jesus. So the description of the priest we see here, number one, the high priest is a man. The high priest represents the people. The high priest also represents the Lord. The high priest gives the offerings to God, and the high priest is full of compassion. Well, the last thing we see in verse 4, the writer says, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So what the writer is saying in verse 4, that no one takes this honor to himself. In other words, you can't be a high priest on your own decision. I mean, you can't wake up in the morning one day and say, You know what? I like being a high priest today. Yeah, that's what I want to do in life. You cannot do that. No, this position comes to the one who is, and we see here, called by God. And that's what happened. The Jewish high priests, they were called by the Lord. Matter of fact, the first high priest was who? Aaron, Moses' brother. And after Aaron, his sons, his line, his descendants were the chosen ones to be the high priest in Israel. Aaron was from the family of Koath, and Koath guys were part of the tribe of the Levites. So you remember the Levites were the priests, right? They were the tribe that were the priests in Israel. So only Aaron's sons and their sons, and usually it was the eldest one, held the office of high priest. So the last description, number six here, is the high priest is appointed by God. The high priest is appointed by God. You know, I was thinking about it's similar to today. What I mean is not that, you, you know, we have uh, uh, Aaron, Aaron's line here, you know, running churches. But no, pastors are called by God. Not like they're part of the Aaronic line, but it's the same similar thing today with pastors. They are chosen by God. They are called by the Lord. To be a pastor, it's not like, well, one day you think, well, you know, what should I do with my life? Yeah. Uh, Oh, maybe, um, uh, you know, it's not like a job or career uh, profession that you choose. It's not like, well, you know, I'm going to go to college and seminary and I'm going to get my degree and I'm going to go and become a pastor. No, it's a calling that happens. It's something that God does. God appoints the pastors, not man, not the person. It's not like you you come at it like a job. If you do, you know what? Those guys, they don't last very long. So overall, the writer is saying this. God has specific requirements for the office of the high priest, and it's not just for anybody. That's our point here. God has specific requirements for the office of the high priest, and it's not just for anybody. I read about this uh, 33-year-old Frenchman who was nailed to a cross in the patio of a hotel in the Dominican Republic. He wanted to hang there for three days. This, This is kind of crazy. But it didn't last long. Within 24 hours, he was in so much pain and suffering, he was forced to give up his plan. They say that even before he gave up, he, he had them lay the cross down on the ground to alleviate his suffering, but that didn't help. Why did he do it? Well, it was his way of making, this is what he said, a contribution to salvation and peace among mankind. 
but not just anyone could really do that, right? Well, in the same way, you can't become the high priest that offers himself on a cross for sins like Jesus. Only Jesus can do that. He is the designated high priest to die on the cross. So God has, this is what the writer is presenting, God has specific requirements for the office of the high priest, and it's not just for anybody. God has a certain way of doing things. That's the way it is, and we must respect that. You know, I was thinking about that. Do we respect that? Yeah. Do we respect that God has specific requirements or specific ways of things that he does, of his callings? And, and it, he, that's his way. That, that's his plan. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's the creator. He's the Lord. Do we respect that? I'll tell you what I was thinking about. Sometimes, you know what, I try and take control. Yeah? Or sometimes we take control and find a way, ways of being the priest for other people. Right? Sometimes it, we're, we're like, well, well I'm going to come there for it and I'm going to do this. And sometimes, you know, we've got to realize it's not your job. Yeah. It's not your job. I mean, are you trying to force people, manipulate them? Are you trying to be their Holy Spirit? You're not the Holy Spirit. You're not Jesus. Right? God has strict requirements for, for who the high priest is and who can save a person. Only Jesus, only God can save, right? Only He can do that. I'll tell you, the better way is pray. Pray. That's what God has done. He's invited us to pray. And yeah, speak when the Holy Spirit uh, leads you. Yeah, share when the Holy Spirit leads you in that way. Yeah, do something when the Holy Spirit leads you. But sometimes we want to take over that job. But we see God has specific requirements for the office of the high priest. It's not just for anybody. But we see Christ fulfill many of these descriptions of the priest we've seen. Well, let's go to number two now. Number two, the difference in Christ. The difference in Christ. Jesus is our high priest. We've seen the description of, of the priest. And now the difference in Christ. Hebrews chapter 5. Now look at verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now as we get into this passage, it's a it's pretty difficult passage. I don't know if you guys read ahead, but I was reading, oh Lord, help me. You know, but hopefully uh, this will help you understand, interpret what the passage is saying. Now, the writer says Christ, which he's using that word specific, which is really another word for the Messiah, right? The Messiah did not glorify himself to become high priest. You know what he's saying? He didn't put himself forward. He didn't glory in himself. In other words, Jesus did not appoint himself into this position. Even Jesus didn't do that. He followed in the way of the other high priests who were appointed, who were chosen by God. So that's what the writer is saying. But he says, it was he who said to him. Who's he? The heavenly father said to Jesus. The heavenly father ordained, we can say, Jesus into this position. How? By his voice, by vocally saying here at the end of verse 5, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, as we've been seeing, and the writer in Hebrews quotes a lot of scripture, and here he's quoting Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And we saw that. If you remember back in chapter 1, verse 5, the writer used the same quote to show that when Jesus came to the earth, he was born a human being. He was begotten into time, from eternity into time, and became the Son of God. 
Well, the writer saying, Psalm 2, verse 7, also tells us this. Like Aaron was called by God through Moses to be high priest for Israel, you know what? Jesus was called by God by the voice of the Father, directly from the Father. Now, in this section, we're going to see three differences that Christ has or does uh, in difference to an earthly priest. And so number one, we see this. Christ was directly ordained by the voice of the Father. It wasn't through Moses. It wasn't through someone else. Like, come, like Moses went to Aaron. Hey, the Lord told me you're going to be high priest, right? No, it was direct communication, a direct ordination, a direct announcement from the Father that Jesus Christ is the high priest by saying, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And, and that's what the writer's putting forth here with that. Understand now, back in these times, the unsaved Jews, they, you know, they're probably like asking the believing Jews, saying, hey, how can a Christian approach God without a priest? Or, or who mediates between you and God? Who offers the sacrifice to atone for your sins? See, these Jews were steeped in the laws of Moses, in the traditions of the Jews. So this would be their first thought. Wait, how does this work now? This Jesus, how does this work? So the writer seeks to show that Jesus, hey, Jesus is our high priest. And that Jesus was ordained. He's different from all earthly priests. You know, he was ordained verbally by God to be the believer's high priest. So this is the first difference in Christ. But with that, there must have been another question going on in their minds. There must have been another question brought up in trying to understand all this is this, if Jesus is our high priest, then why isn't he from the tribe of Levi? Isn't the high priest supposed to descend from Aaron? If Jesus is the Messiah, and most Jews knew that the Messiah comes from the tribe of Judah, then how is it all supposed to work? The Messiah is a high priest, okay, but why isn't he in from the line of Aaron? And I know the Messiah comes from the line of Judah. How does this all, all come together? Well, the answer is the priesthood of Christ came from a greater priestly line than Aaron's. And this line traces even farther back. It goes before Aaron. And so the writer says, look in verse 6. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So the writer says, let me answer that question now. In another place or another scripture, and here he quotes Psalm 110, verse 4, the last part. He quotes it saying, you are a priest forever. Now let's just think about that for a moment. The earthly priesthood was limited for only the lifetime of that high priest. After he died, that was it. He's done. And then the next son would take over that position, that job. But Christ's priesthood, he attaches it here to Melchizedek. And he says Christ's priesthood lasts forever. And why is that? Well, because Christ is the eternal God, right? So here's the second thing we see. We see Christ's priesthood is forever. And that's a difference that's in Christ compared to the earthly priesthood. Christ's priesthood is forever. His, his position doesn't end one day. His position doesn't run out. His time doesn't run out. It's not like, 
oh, man, I, I was so happy with that guy, and now that guy is gone, and now, oh, no, we got a new supervisor. What's going to happen? Right? No, Christ's priesthood is forever. Then he goes on to quote the rest of Psalm 110 for where it says, according to the order of Melchizedek. So Christ's priesthood, it's greater, it's above than Aaron's, right? But this one is according to the order, according to the way, the priesthood of Melchizedek. Who's Melchizedek? I could barely say it. I had to practice a little bit. Melchizedek, right? Well, Melchizedek, he was both a king and a priest during the time of Abraham. So the writer really, like, inspired by the Spirit, brings up, right, this king-priest way back in Abraham's days, before Moses. He goes, no, listen, Jesus is really part of this priestly line, the first priest that's ever mentioned in the Bible, and that's Melchizedek. So the third thing we see here is that Christ's priesthood is both king and priest. Christ was directly ordained by the voice of the Father. Christ's priesthood is forever. And number three, Christ's priesthood is both king and priest. This is a difference in Christ we're seeing as he is the high priest. Back in the time of Abraham, Genesis 14, this is where Melchizedek is found. Uh, it's, it was centuries before Moses even gave the law. And so Melchizedek shows up in Scripture there, and it was after Abraham rescues his nephew Lot, right? And he goes to Melchizedek, uh, and he is actually the king of Salem, which is the old name, interesting, for Jerusalem. And so he offered tithes to Melchizedek. And it says in Genesis fourteen eighteen that Melchizedek was not only a king, but a priest, of the Most High. He was a believer in the one God. Now, we're going to get more uh, into Melchizedek over in Hebrews chapter 7 because he really starts to compare Jesus with Melchizedek over there. But for now, you see that Jesus the Messiah comes from a different priesthood, not the Aaron's line, but the order of Melchizedek, a line of priests that is both king and priest. So the writer makes this point. Jesus Christ is not like any earthly priest, for his office is an eternal one of both king and priest. Jesus Christ is not like any earthly priest, for his office is an eternal one of both king and priest. I was reading uh, one commentator and he, he said something that really grabbed my heart about this. Now, he wrote about, he said this, if we were first century Jews, it would be difficult to grasp the truth that Jesus was the great high priest. The writer's trying to get the Jewish readers to make what we would call today, and this is what hit me, a paradigm shift in their thinking. A paradigm shift, a, a, a total change in, in your thinking. And I like that. The Jews were limiting their thinking and what they saw in the earthly priests, and they were trying to have a hard time reconciling Jesus as their high priest. But with Scripture, the writers opening up their minds to the fact that Jesus is both king and priest. He's a heavenly priest, but he's king and 
priest. He's different from these earthly priests. And, and that's that paradigm shift. I think for some of us, we need a paradigm shift in our thinking about Jesus. Now, let, me, let me share that with you. Some see Jesus as their Savior. So they come, church, seeking, praying for help because they're in some situation. God answers their prayer, helps them out, and then they just go back to their lifestyle. They just go back to the world. They go back to doing their thing. But then something else happens. And what happens? They show up again when things get bad. And then God, in His grace, helps them, answers their prayer, uh, strengthens them. Then next thing you know, they're okay. And what do they do? They go back to that old way of living. They go back to that old lifestyle. Then something else happens. What happens? They end up in church again. And then, oh, Lord, help me, help me, help me. He's their Savior. So He comes to them as their Savior. And so God saves them, helps them. But then they go back to the old things. And it's just a circle. They're just running in circles, round and round, doing the same things over and over and over because Jesus is just their Savior. But the thing is, Jesus is not just our Savior, right? He is our Lord also. He's not just the priest that we can come to and and he'll intercede for us and be that mediator. He's not just the priest who understands what we're going through. He's not just that, that priest that is compassionate for us, but he is also king, you guys. He is also Lord. He's not only a high priest, but he's your king, Lord. Will we not learn Will we not make Jesus not only our priest and Savior, but also make Jesus our King and Lord in our lives? That we would submit to Him, that we would listen to Him, that we would actually do what He's telling us to do because He is our Lord, not just our Savior. Second Peter 3.18, Peter wrote there, But grow in, gra- in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of us here need that paradigm shift in your thinking. We like Jesus as our Savior. Yeah, because, oh, He's nice. He helps us. But our Lord, I don't know if I can do that. And by His grace and His love and compassion for you and mercy, yeah, He comes and helps you. But how about, how about really respecting Him? How about really giving your life and surrender to Him and follow Him? Follow His ways. Turn from the world. Repent of those things that are getting you in trouble, that are bringing these consequences. We need to make Jesus both our king and priest. You know, when I was a teenager and after I came to Jesus and I was getting uh, water baptized for the first time and and I went into the water and, and the pastor took my hand. And you know what the first thing he did? He looked me straight in the eye. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, I, was, I felt real scared. He looked me straight in the eye and he asked, who is Jesus to you? And I was, I was like super nervous. And I, you know in those moments where you like blank out? And, like, uh, uh, and, I, and it, the thoughts couldn't come. And then all of a sudden a thought came to my mind. And I just spoke. I said, oh, Jesus is my Savior. And I thought, whoo, oh, answer that one, you know. And this, you know, I just want to get water baptized. I don't want to get examined and quizzed here. Well, then the pastor looked me in the eye again, and he said firmly, Jesus is your Lord first, and then he's your Savior. And then he dunked me in the water, and I went. But guess what? 
that experience, what he did, what he told me, I never forgot the rest of my life. I never forgot that. And you know what? God knew exactly what I needed. That imprinted onto my heart. And you know what? All this time, it kept me on course. You guys, it's easy. Yeah, we run to God. Oh, Lord, help me, help me. And he'll help you in his love and compassion for you. But we need to take a step further. We need to make Jesus our king, our Lord, that we serve, that we follow, that we obey, that we surrender to, that we are under. That's what we need to do. Oh, the biggest difference I see here in Christ is that he is king. He is king. Let's move on here to number three. The dedication of Jesus. The dedication of Jesus. Jesus is a high priest, number one. The description of the priest, number two. The difference in Christ. And now, number three, the dedication of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. It reads here, Who, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with, with vehement, vehement, I can't say it, Christ and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. All right, the writer goes on here to give us something else about Jesus, our great high priest. That he begins here, who? Jesus, in the days of his flesh. Now that's speaking about while Jesus was here on earth as a man. He had days in eternity and now days as a human being living here on the earth. Well, during those days, he had offered up prayers and supplications, vehement cries and tears. Now, uh, they were prayers he did, requests. He cried out to the Lord. It's speaking of strong and loud praying and crying out to the Lord. And these tears, interesting, most commentators believe this refers to the time when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his death. So Jesus prayed to him, to who? God the Father, who it says here at the end of verse 7, who was able to save him from death. That means the Father did save him from the power of death. In other words, he didn't stay in the ground. He was heard and he was raised from the dead, speaking of his resurrection. And so all this happened. The Father answered his prayer the writer says here, because of his godly fear, because of Jesus' godly fear. What does that mean? Well, it means, godly fear here means like uh, devoutly submissive, or because Jesus submitted himself to God's will. That's what godly fear here means. The idea is the cries of Jesus' prayers were answered because his dedication to do God's will. Will, and this is our heading, the dedication uh, of Jesus. The dedication of Jesus. In Matthew twenty-six, we find Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. We we find that 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 account, and it says that he was deeply sorrowful. It says that he was distressed. In Luke twenty-two, it says that his sweat became like drops of blood, which is a medical condition of one under great stress. He was under so much emotional strain that we find Jesus prayed in Luke 22, Father, 
If it is your will, take this cup away from me. What cup? This cup of suffering. Nevertheless, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. We've talked about this before. You can imagine what Jesus was going through at this moment. His disciples were about to abandon him. Judas was about to betray him. Uh, he, he was about, or had already, really. He was about to take on the sins of the world and die for people's atonement, for their sins. He, this was a rough spot. No wonder, the writer says, that he can sympathize with us human beings. No wonder he's like that priest with compassion because Jesus went through physically, emotionally, spiritually more than any of us would ever go through. We talked about that, didn't we? Yet even in this extreme suffering, Jesus did not budge in his dedication to do God's will. And that's what the writer's talking about here. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's what he's saying. So, in verse 8, it says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. All right, this verse, the writer says that even though he was the son, the son of God, God the son, it says he learned obedience. It's a very interesting verse. You're probably thinking, wait, 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 wait a minute. Isn't Jesus God? Isn't he perfect? Does Jesus need to learn anything? He has to learn obedience? What? What is, what is the writer talking about here? Now keep in mind, Jesus was never disobedient. Never. Jesus, he did not have to suffer to correct some disobedience. Sometimes we think that's what this is saying. No, we know, keep it in mind, the Son of God is perfect and sinless, right? So what does this mean? Jesus learned by experience how hard obedience is when he suffered in doing God's will. Let me say that again. Jesus learned by experience how hard obedience is when he suffered in doing God's will. Does that make sense now? Jesus experienced as a human being what it's like, how hard it is to stick to God's will when it means you're going to go through suffering and pain. That was what was happening in a garden, right? He's struggling. He's, he's in pain. He's, he's, he's in distress. He's, he's overwhelmed with what's going to happen. He's overwhelmed knowing the betrayal, the abandonment, everyone leaving. All of that is just crushing down upon him. He says, Father, oh, if you can take away this cup of suffering, oh, Lord. But you know what? Not my will. Your will be done. In other words, I'm going to do your will here. I'm going to be obedient to what you want me to do. Jesus learned by experience how hard obedience is when he suffered in doing God's will. Thomas Lee wrote, By making a response of obedience to his testing, he learned that was what was involved in following obedience. Learning this trait equipped him to understand better the struggles and weaknesses of human beings. So you see, here's, here's another thing that the writer's pointing to us here that Jesus, our high priest, he does really understand. He does really understand when we're in place in that position where we know we got to do God's will, but it's going to be hard. 
It's, oh, we're going to suffer for it. We're going to go through some painful things. It's things that, we, oh, I don't know if I can. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. So Jesus himself understands and he again fulfills how a high priest should be compassionate. And then the writer says this in verse 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The writer saying this, so Jesus has been perfected or what he did was perfected. The word really means completed. And it's not that Jesus is imperfect, but the idea is in his obedience to go all the way to die on a cross for our sins. Jesus completed the task of making the way for people to be saved. So that Jesus is now, and that's the end of verse 9, the author or the source of eternal salvation to all who obey or all those who believe in him. So the idea is because of his steadfast obedience unto death, Jesus became the source of salvation. And that's why Hebrews 12, 2, the writer said, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He became the source of salvation. He is the author because he stuck to obeying God and doing the Lord's will. So Jesus is now, our last verse here, verse 10, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So the writer is saying, you should see now that Jesus is called by God as our high priest. And that Christ's perfect obedience, even through suffering and pain, steadfast all the way to the death on the cross, makes him not so much in the line of earthly priests of Aaron, but he comes from this priesthood. And he quotes Psalm 110 for again, according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, we're going to see more in Hebrews 7. And, and, and interesting thing too, Melchizedek is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. So he's different. That's what the writer's saying. He's, he's, he's different than the priest that you're used to, which is the idea. Jesus is a high priest, unique and unlike of any high priest the Jews are used to. For Jesus, our high priest, fulfills the criteria and even more. If you think about it, Aaron and his family, line of priests had to make atonement for their own sins. Jesus is sinless. He didn't have to do that. He had no moral or personal flaws. Aaron's priesthood had limited terms of office once they died. Another priest took over the duties. Jesus died and rose again, and now he's priest forever. Aaron and his descendants of priests were all men who served God. Jesus is both man and God. Aaron and the high priest after never became what I call royalty, but Jesus is both king and priest. Aaron's line could only sympathize with the people up to a certain point, but Jesus knows the full extent of suffering that comes from being obedient to the will of God. So he understands even more than any priest. Which brings, all of this brings us to our last point. His obedience and suffering for our salvation is what qualifies Jesus to be our high priest. He's unique. No one else. Only Jesus is our high priest. His obedience in suffering for our salvation is what qualifies Jesus to be our high priest. I like what Andrew Murray once wrote. 
He said, this is our high priest. He knows what the weaknesses of flesh is. He knows what it costs to conquer it and how little we are able to do it. He lives in heaven, able to assist us, sympathizing with our weaknesses. He lives in heaven and in our heart to impart to us, I like this, his own spirit of obedience. Isn't that good? I like this. So that his priesthood may bring us into the full enjoyment of all he himself has and is. I love that, you guys. His obedience and suffering for our salvation is what qualifies Jesus to be our high priest. So he can help us in those situations. He can help you today. Are you struggling with obedience to do God's will? Is it because you're going through rough times? Is it because you don't want to suffer and be in that pain and go through that? Are you struggling with obedience to what God is asking you to do? Like maybe forgive someone. I mean really forgive someone. Or maybe to love someone who's unlovable. Or maybe to to be that godly husband or godly wife and work on your relationship. Yeah, in marriage. Are you struggling to obey God because, well, faith means stepping out. But you're gripped with fear. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. Are you struggling to step out in faith because you don't know how things are going to turn? I don't know, God. I know you want me to step out. I know that's your will, but I I don't know because I don't know what's over there. Are you struggling to step out in faith because you don't know what that future may hold? Are you distressed in knowing what you face is not going to go smoothly? You know that already. Is it like this dark tunnel you're heading into and there's no light there? Yeah. Oh, where, I, I don't know, Lord. Where, where, where's, where's, the, where's the hope in, in all this, right? Are you distressed because you, you're going through these dark times, but then you're being, there's a battle going on inside of you and you want to avoid all of this and you, your tendency is to do what you always do and that just run. Yeah. Do what you feel. You know, if you're here right now sitting there facing that situation, if you're under a heavy load, yeah, you're at a loss of what to do, go to your high priest, Jesus. He knows exactly what it's like. He knows how hard it is. He knows what you're feeling right now. He knows, though, the answer. How to stay obedient to what God is asking you to do. Jesus knows. He knows how to get through this. He knows how to stick to God's plan to do what He wants. He knows what it means to be obedient to the Father and what He wants you to do. I'll close with this. In September of 1999, a pastor arrived at Kampon Thom province in northern Cambodia. He ended up in this small rural village and the people actually warmly received him. And as he shared the message of Jesus, they accepted Jesus like right away. Surprised about their openness to Jesus, he asked about how, how this was. I mean, how did this come to be? Because mostly all around in that area, they were Buddhists or they're into the spiritism. Well, one elderly lady shuffled forward, bowed uh, to him and then looked up and took hold of his hands. And then she told him this. We have been waiting for you for 20 years. And then she went on to tell him how back in the 70s, during the brutal communist uh, Khmer, Khmer Rouge 
Khmer Rouge, how they came in, took over Cambodia, started destroying everything in their path and killing people. Well, when these soldiers came to this small village, they were forced to start digging their own graves. When they were finished, the villagers began to panic. Many started shouting to Buddha to save them. Others cried to, to these spirits, these demon spirits. Others prayed to their dead ancestors for salvation. Well, one woman in the middle of this village started to cry for help based on a childhood memory. A story her mom once told her about a God who had hung on a cross. The woman thought that perhaps this unknown God on a cross would surely sympathize with them and have compassion having suffered too. So the entire village hearing this started to pray to the God who suffered and hung on the cross. Their wailing slowly turned to quiet crying and then eventually turned to this eerie silence in the middle of the jungle. And then when they looked up and around, all the soldiers were gone. This village survived. So the lady told them ever since that day, they had been waiting for someone to come and tell them the rest of the story. The whole story about the God who had hung on the cross and who understands them because he hung there and suffered. You see, you can always turn to Jesus with your trials and troubles. He's been there and he will be there for you right now. He understands in a way no one else can. He's uniquely qualified to help you and I who struggle He's uniquely qualified to show you the way and strengthen you and encourage you to obey even in the midst of suffering and pain. So go to Him. Let's go to Him. Jesus, our High Priest. Let's pray. Lord, thank You again for Your Word and thank You for being our High Priest, Lord. Thank You as we learn here today that You've gone through even much more than we can imagine. As we go deeper into your word, as we study it, we find you more than what we saw last week, that you not only sympathized, and you not only went through all the temptation and all that, but you went through this, this suffering, Lord, being obedient to the plan of the Father, God. You went through all that, and you still obeyed. You still t- stuck to it, Lord, even in all of that. And God, many of us here today are going through struggles and suffering and pain and distresses. And we know, Lord, that you want us to do certain things, Lord. And it's hard. And we struggle in that. And some of the things, Lord, bring on some suffering and pain, Lord, that makes it super hard. And we want to turn. We want to run. But God, help us to obey and and to do your will in whatever that is because you are our Lord. You are our King. We are submitted to you to obey you. Not what we want, not what we feel, not what we think. Help us to stick to that. Show us the way of how you learned obedience. You experienced this pain and suffering, yet you stuck to go all the way to the death on the cross and purchase salvation. And Lord, sometimes that's what it is to go through these things. Lord, they actually save us from ourselves, Lord. Save us from ourselves, Lord. 
We're our worst enemy. Help us, Lord, today to go to you, Jesus, our high priest. In your name, amen.